You guys are impossible. This, this will never air. air. Matt, you are our mystery guest. They didn't know you were who the mystery guest was. Oh, excellent. It's true. I'm a, I'm a mystery guest. That's awesome. <laughs> Welcome to the robot. So do I get to sign in somewhere then? Is that how that works? Well, there's a long vetting process. Oh. Yeah. Wow. You forms. <laughs> do you have a professional microphone? Yes, I do. Well, how I mean, professional? I mean, yeah. you know, it's professional as the Yeti gets anyway. We'll be the judge <laughs> of this here. You can't do any serious podcasting on a Yeti. No, of course not. It's a good thing this isn't serious. <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> what are you gathering? Oh, <laughs> turn that one around. What's for dinner? Sonic. Sonic. Ooh, <laughs> did you get the miniature um, mozzarella sticks? Kid mozzarella sticks? What are they called? Nope, I did not get those. Mm. Mini Mozzies. Mini Mozzies. Uh-huh. Ooh, that's unfortunate. Wow. On a previous show, I explained I got an order of mini, mini Mozzies, and uh, the server came out and said, here's your kids' Mozzies. Uh-huh. And I... <laughs> I'm understanding that. I was slightly bothered by that for at least a half a second. This is understandable. If it were longer than half a second, I'd begin to question. But a half a second. He was like 17. (laughs) Damn kids. You should should remember being this old. Oh, wait. I think the desktop is coming on to me. The desktop is coming on to you? Yeah, it, um, there's a bubble in the upper right-hand corner of the lock screen that says, like what you see. You like what I'm cooking? So I'm going to apologize right now because my dog is doing what she normally does when I'm on uh, work calls, which is deciding this very moment to bring in a loud, squeaky toy. And because I'm alone this week, because my, my other is traveling, I'm the only one to distract her. This is my mission. That's why we drug ours with tryptophan. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just Do you ever use Dramamine? <laughs> what? Dramamine? Yeah. No, dramamine. I want them to so calm my... down, not have more drama. No, so... <laughs> yeah, okay. Ding. Um... <laughs> <laughs> my dog uh, gets car sick all the time, and it turns out that dogs uh, can take Dramamine for motion sickness. Um, and they actually have higher tolerance than humans, so we give her Dramamine, and, and one day I made the mistake of buying the non-drowsy Dramamine, and my girlfriend got really mad at me because she said, you know, the whole point is to make the dog go to sleep for the whole damn car ride, and why would you buy the non-drowsy? Now she won't be sick, but she'll be a pain in the butt. And that's my Dramamine story. <laughs> that's, <my laughs> story that's how that works. No, we have these pills that are like 100% tryptophan. If we run out of those, we just give them a whole turkey. That's what I'm saying. A whole frozen turkey. Let them chew on it for a while. Keeps them busy and makes them sleepy. I've got one of those right now, but uh, I don't think our cats will go for it. <laughs> so you have to hide it somewhere, and then they'll oh. for it. And they'll oh, no. love that. Were you the kid who would hide the carton of milk on the top of a cabinet in the teacher's room no i no did you guys ever have that happen no it definitely is, not it is horrible because 
you know, you walk in the. <laughs> Pardon me. All right, guys, we're gonna start the show now. Ready? Three, right. three, two, two one. You can imagine how happy I was when Elsa decided to bring her this toy back after she had killed the speakers and everything else that we owned. Give me the toy. My toy now. Yep. In fact, the toy's on the desk. So it puts the toy down or it gets the hose again. Is it he or is she? She. Is she going to bark about that? Uh, I don't think so. She's probably going to look around trying to figure out where it was because she had already Mm. run halfway across the apartment thinking I was going to throw it for her. (laughs) I don't have it. (laughs) Ours will, well, at least one of ours will bark. Um, Like we put toys on top of the fridge because no one can reach it there. And she will sit and stare up at the top of the fridge and bark. Yep. So, um, of course, as I said this, I'm screwed because she jumped on the bed and managed to spy it on my desk from the bed and then has now started staring at it and jumping and hitting the desk. We'll just bring the desk up and then where she can't reach it. So I've uh, obviously missed, you know, a few months worth of transmission at this point. So I'm just beginning to pick back up and apparently... Apparently, we've gotten past the burritos, and we've gone through a couple of different foods, and now we're at hot dogs? Yeah, the the burritos were actually kind of before my time. When I started listening, they were well into pizza. Okay. Title. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Wait, what is the title? Squeak, Uh, squeak, 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 squeak. Oh, okay. Wow. So we've gotten, um, past, we've gotten past pizza. We're at mm-hmm. hot dogs now. So I'm thinking the next thing has to be hamburgers, right? That is like the next logical comfort food. It's like hot dogs and hamburgers. Right? I have very strong opinions about hamburgers. Should we talk about hamburgers? <laughs> of course you do. For the show. <laughs> well, normally I save these things for the show. So um, three, two. Um, yeah, so I, I really like um, ketchup on a hamburger. I really like cheese on a hamburger. I most especially like uh, pickles on a hamburger, but I get very frustrated by the lettuce and tomato that they put on hamburgers all the time, or at least they bring out as they're supposed to eat them on the hamburger because it just makes everything a mess, and I don't understand the cold with hot stuff that it does, and it just seems like, why? Why, why bring me this like terrible salad and put it on my bun and screw up everything? The burger just slides around all over the place. As a result, you know, iceberg lettuce, like why? Just why? Why put iceberg lettuce anywhere, especially on top of a great burger? Okay, there's part of the problem. I mean, no, it should not be iceberg lettuce. It should be romaine. Eh, I don't have have a problem with with lettuce on a burger. Tomato, yes, because, you know, fresh raw tomatoes are gross. (laughs) Well... You prefer rotten raw tomatoes? That was a great. Oh, well, that's even more gross. Rotten raw. T- <laughs> the problem they, they don't the get better tomatoes. as they rot. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's like a banana, you know. Don't don't ever throw those things out. You know, that's everyone right. eventually is going to make banana bread. Tomato bread. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but but really like when you've got this like cold thing that slides around and is sloppy it just doesn't make sense to me like i just don't understand why we've universally decided that we do this slice of tomato and slice of of lettuce of any kind that that has to be a part of it i've never been happy to have that like i've always been happier when i've decided not to try and eat it that way just give it a shot <laughs> it's kind of the requisite part of a sandwich though right it's my life hack the you have to have a, a little bit of something that might possibly be green. Nah. Uh, to, well, to that's why you have the pickles. Yeah, there we go. Pickles. So you can even add a jalapeno if you want. I don't understand this, but this is okay. <laughs> the pickles. So, I, I definitely do not understand at all. Like it, it seems like you would ruin a perfectly good thing by adding sour dill to it. What? Mm. <sighs> Interesting. What? I mean, it's like the it's the very worst possible thing you could ever add to, say, a potato salad. You throw dill into it, and all of a sudden, all you taste is dill, and you've you've ruined the balance of any perfectly good food by adding a pickle. I'm I'm very close I, to kicking you off this call. Yeah, I'm I'm I, I'm astounded. I'm a bit enraged. This is the part of the call where I mentioned that I'm from New York and I'm Jewish and grew up on this stuff. So tread lightly. Well, this is the part of the call where I say that I always just kind of assumed that Matt was a good person. <laughs> right. Sadly. Seriously, Tom is in the question. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, I also demand that mayonnaise be placed upon every burger that I have, mm. not the desecration that is mustard. Oh, so God. I'm, this I'm is killing board, me. So, so I'm on board with the no mustard thing, which is a regionalism in oh. New York, by the way. Mm. So, like, in New York, if you order from, like, a McDonald's or Burger King, and I just use them because they're national chains. If you order anywhere that's national, a burger, they do not put mustard on them. Like, I grew up, and I never even knew that mustard as a concept existed on burgers. And then, like, traveling out of state, when that would happen, it would be, like, vomit-inducing to me to taste the mustard on my burger. And I like mustard on a hot dog. Yeah, no. Or I am sandwich. weird. I will put I will put mayonnaise on a on a hot dog from time to time. I, obviously, the only the only acceptable condiment seems to be uh, ketchup and relish, right? No, cheese. Oh. Chili. Mm. What else are you putting on your dog? Oh, wow. So uh, I need I need a minute. <clears throat> so I live in Rhode Island, and the way that we do hot dogs here is um, they will look at you sideways if you even dare put ketchup near a hot dog. Never ketchup on a hot dog. Always mustard, um, fresh chopped onion, uh, celery salt. And if you want, they, you could add a little bit of like a meat sauce, which is kind of like chili, but not really chili here. I imagine some of this is that I just didn't grow up in a food tradition that had a, you know, not store-bought hot dog. Hmm. Like, I mean, my, my folks from up on the Northeast, they're big on the natural case hot dogs that they get from the, the place down the way that I can't remember the name of, but you know, I, I was 20 before I had a natural case hot dog. I was 20 before I had anything you could, you know, remotely consider a good dog at all. So how yeah, are, are you a Chicago? Are you a Chicago dog guy? Um, I, I've, I've seen Chicago dogs before. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like Chicago, they do like, uh, you know, relish and pickles on top and all sorts of chunky stuff. Um, yeah, but yeah, no ketchup on hot dogs. That's not a thing. I like baked beans. Baked beans on a hot dog is good. Coleslaw on a hot dog is good. 
going to be like that. Putting a lot onto that dog, though, at that point, aren't we? I mean... Well, you don't do all of these things at once. Yeah, basically what you do is you take a, a pot of stew and you put a, a hot dog at the bottom of it. And I think... It, well. Yeah. And then, like, you go for it, like, bobbing for apples? Dog like that, you don't eat it all at once. <laughs> so, did any of y'all mention baked beans? Did any of y'all grow up doing, like, beanie weenies? Where you would cut the hot oh, dogs yeah. into little slices and throw them into the baked beans as they were as they were simmering? I remember sure. as a thing, but I'm not a fan of baked beans. <laughs> is, it, is that controversial or? I have no idea. Um, like that's an important part of the barbecue tradition. So like as a, you know, cold-blooded Southerner, I probably should duel you or something, but. Well, you can just have my beans. I like the baked beans, but I did grow up eating vegetarian baked beans. Ugh. Which is an interesting it's got to have a little, like, ham fat in it, right? No, no, truly vegetarian. And again, the, the Jewish thing where even though we did not keep kosher, um, like, growing up, we never, like, made pork at home because we don't have any family traditions of pork recipes or eating pork. So, like, even though we all eat bacon and we all eat shrimp and stuff like that, we wouldn't buy – like, I never bought bacon and had it in the freezer. I never bought – anything that had a pork product with and had it at home because it just wasn't something we did. And I think that that extended down to like my parents always grew up eating vegetarian beans because they wouldn't eat pork growing up. So even though I like them with a little bit of pork now, you know, I actually normally had like Heinz vegetarian baked beans in the can. That's what I grew up having. A Heinz product other than ketchup. It's bizarre world you live in. Yep. What's, what's the Hunt's version of that? Is it Bourne's? Good Big question. <laughs> Hunt's catsup beans. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Matt, we have a doc where we actually have topics. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> There's structure to this show? In theory. Um, 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 hmm. Hmm. Uh, hmm. <laughs> hmm. There is structure, but it is generally... Uh, Ignored? Ignored and what's the word? Ca catastrophically unstable. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. The uh, the running topic of the show is Tim Tams. Are you familiar with Tim Tams? Um the the drums? No, that's those Tom are Tom Toms. Thinking yeah. thinking of Tom Toms. Oh well, then probably not. I think you're thinking of Toms of Maine. Three. Two, one. <laughs> wow. Okay. So let's click the clicky. <clears throat> All right. So the quick overview of Tim Tams is it is an Australian cookie, kind of like a Twix without caramel. Except for the uh, and, caramel ones that are just like Twix, apparently. Right. Except there is a, yeah, there is a caramel version. Um, but they have uh, taken this show by storm. Uh, we can't stop talking about them for some Yeah, reason. thanks, Mikey. One one of the key elements of the Tim Tam, though, is, is that it is potentially hollow because you have to engage in what is known as the Tim Tam Slam. So you bite off two corners, opposite corners. It's a, it's long like a, a Kit Kat would be. Um, and put one in the coffee and suck on the other, and you get coffee that supposedly tastes like uh, with a little chocolate in it and... Uh, and your Tim Tam all of a sudden starts to melt in your fingers, and you have to shove it in your mouth 
or else have a huge mess. And so uh, we've decided the slam part is the shoving it in your mouth. Okay. So, but there are things like chocolate straws. That's not a foreign concept. Like, why wouldn't you, if that's what you were wanting to have happen, why go through all the trouble? Well, but you can also eat a Tim Tam without doing the slam, which is actually my preferred method. I do not like the Tim Tam slam because I like to savor my Tim Tam um, and eat it in no more than four bites. Basically, you're insufficiently Australian. Right. I'm I'm right side up. Right. So when you flush the toilet, it goes <laughs> clockwise. Never, never really <laughs> paid that much attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coriolis effect. That's right. It's on Wiki. Look it up. I think that's a myth. I do. Turns turn, turns out. <clears throat> yep. Everyone really Man. loves that you got Snopes.com now. We we get it. We get it. You're the cool guy. You go on Snopes. <laughs> got it. Great. <clears throat> nope. Mental floss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then it's going to be like the 12 urban legends you thought were true but aren't. There are only 11 urban legends that I thought were true that aren't. I'll have you know. Yeah, well, uh, number 11 is going to shock you. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. The return of the toy. Yes, that is your squeaky toy. Does, does she have any non-squeaky toys? She has an entire bucket full of toys, only one of which squeaks, that she's been playing with all day, mm-hmm. the other toys, until this very moment, at which point she decided to pick up the squeaky one. It's okay. She hasn't figured out that I can't throw things that are at least 12 feet away from me, so she's now staring at me from approximately 15 feet with the squeaky toy approximately 12 feet away, as though I'm going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure we're good for at least three minutes with this stare down. The dog understands. So I have something important to tell you here. <clears throat> it turns out the Coriolis effect only applies to hurricanes. Not to well, I... <laughs> Speak for yourself, okay? My toilet is a hurricane. <laughs> Unless you have a toilet with the brand name Hurricane. I, I've any, got a scorpion brand Large toilet. cyclone? Doesn't it count? I thought... What if it rocks you like a hurricane? So would you guys like grilled fruits? Like, what do you think about grilled pineapple, grilled apple, I guess? What else do you guys grill? I honestly thought you were going to ask what our favorite condiments were. (laughs) I I like a a grilled pineapple on a a burger. See? Yeah, grilled. That runs right into my tomato thing. Mm. You're doing it wrong. On the burger? Like, I don't understand that one. Like, I couldn't understand a good kebab having some pineapple on it or, you know, other grilled fruit. But why are you, Why on earth would you put one on a burger? It's the perfect size. It's It was like it was made to go on a burger. Also, we all agree grilled pineapple, delicious. Do you grill anything else? Like, what else do you grill? Um, peppers. I, I, I think of lots of grilled veggies, but I can't think of many more grilled fruits. Well, to be fair, peppers are uh, berries. God. (laughs) I was waiting for you to whip out the tomato, (laughs) but you went there instead. So, brava, brava. Well, you know, I I like my uh, uh, pedantry to be unexpected. Mm -hmm. No Mm -hmm. one expects the Spanish pedant? Sure. Or the squeaky toy. (laughs) 
It comes just at the right moments, though. I mean, the dog is picking up on the cues, like, really hot. And she's got a good sense of the flow of conversation here. I think we might be overcompensating for last time. Yes, I think so, too. So let's move on. Yeah. Three. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if, if, if you're listening to this, you've probably listened to the last episode, which was, what, six people? And just a little bit chaotic with crosstalk and required substantial work on on our on that lovely lady holy cow's um, part to to make some sense of our of our madness. So we're we're trying not to be huge jerks and talk all over each other and uh, not sound like we're all dogs with the squeaky toy for the first time who are jumping up and down, really excited. Can't wait to tell you about Tim Tams. I'm not sure how that's going. Little, little lethargic. Tim Tams colon an education. Yeah, that actually is the subtitle of this podcast. We've got a whole season arc on Tim Tams right now. You need to click your keyboard, or mm-hmm. you know, just to remember to use my mute switch while I'm typing. So, can I ask a question? Are you guys watching the Star Wars trailers, or are you going the Syracuse route and trying to avoid anything that is like a spoiler? I'm in between. I haven't seen the second or third trailers, but not out of any effort to, uh, did I say spoilers or trailers? <laughs> trailers, but good, good slip there. Uh, yeah, not, uh, not out of any, uh, any want to avoid spoilers just because I haven't watched them. I watched the first one as kind of required viewing for the, the incomparable episode thereof. <laughs> I have not watched any additional ones, but I must admit that I am desperately trying to keep my expectations tampered down so that the film can genuinely excite and surprise me at the moment. So I'm just trying not to fall into the episode one trap again. What about you, Mike? Um, I have seen all the trailers and teasers. Um, I don't really, I did not try to get tickets for the opening weekend. To me, it's kind of like um, pre-ordering a a video game. Uh, We have no idea how this movie is going to turn out. You know, the critics haven't even seen it. Not that they're totally reliable. So that's Gracie Uh, basically saying, you have got to be kidding if you're trying to suggest that there's any chance you're not going to see this movie. Well, I I plan on seeing it. I just don't feel like I need to see it on opening weekend. Uh, I'll probably go the Monday after opening weekend. I'm I'm planning on going opening weekend. I'm not planning on going opening day um, just because I'm not sure I'm going to – I've never been that big of a Star Wars fan to begin with, which, you know, makes me nerd anathema already. So – you know, I'm eager to see it just because I think it'll be I think it'll be an interesting film unto itself, especially because it's got a lot of baggage that's attached to it, and that will make for an interesting challenge, which always makes for good movies. But I don't want I, I don't think I want to be as caught up in in it as people who are going to see it on opening day are. So you know, I'll go watch the 4:30 Sunday afternoon showing opening weekend. And hopefully I'll only be in a theater that's three-fourths full instead of completely full. 
See, I've got this huge problem. So, so I have not seen the most recent trailer. I'm kind of, um, I guess, following in the footsteps of Syracuse. And my reason for saying that is, is I hadn't really thought about it. I watched that teaser a while ago that was for the Incomparable episode, and I got so excited and hyped, like uncontrollably felt so excited after watching that for the first time that I realized I cannot go through the pain of watching trailers and getting hyped up and then have this movie be anything but stellar so i needed to like temper myself and not pay attention so when i saw the syracuse wasn't going to watch this trailer i said that's a pretty good benchmark for me that i don't want to get spoiled um, my goal is trying to maximize the potential delight and wonderment that i have that that's what i really want my fear i haven't bought tickets yet my my big fear is that i really only have one day to see it uh after it comes out because I'm leaving like early, early, early that Sunday morning for a vacation out of the country for over a week. And I'm I'm so afraid of just getting completely spoiled on this. I don't want to have to avoid everything and everyone and then see it when I come back. I'm just I'm so worried that this like I just don't want to know. I don't want to have any expectations. I don't want to know anything about it. I want to know as little as possible and go in there and just have an experience for myself. And I'm I'm like nervous. I don't know what to do. I'm I'm traveling. Wednesday through Friday for work, you know, when it comes out. And then Saturday I'll be um, in New York dropping my dog off with my parents. And then Sunday at 6 a.m. I leave on a flight to go out of the country for a week. And I just, like, I don't know what I should do, if I should be buying tickets for that Saturday or not. But I'm definitely not watching any trailers. Done. That seems grossly, uh, you know, wise of you to do right there. I've I've got a fifty fifty chance I'm not even going to see it before it leaves the theaters. Just hate movies that much, do you? No, it's just I mean it's a movie. It looks like it might be good. Eh. So not not the big Star Wars fan then. I I haven't seen a whole lot of movies in the theater in the last uh, what I guess not quite ten years, but probably five years. I mean, what do you you prefer watching them in a different format, or you just that's not something that occurs to you to do when they're out? Or, well, I generally uh, dislike people, and it's fairly expensive. So, I mean, I, a lot of the movies, even the ones that I've wanted to see in the theater, I just kind of forget about until they're out of the theaters and on Blu-ray or streaming or whatever. And yeah. unless there's a group of people that are going and they say, hey, do you want to go see this movie? Yeah, I'm a little weird in that regard, I suppose, because this is film is kind of one of my hobbies and I actively despise going with other people <laughs> because they're they're going to be talking the whole time because that's just what happens in, in movies with your friends. And I don't want that at all. I want to be able to sit in the back and forget about the world and watch my movie and, you know, take it all in, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why I enjoy going to see them at movie theaters as opposed to in my house, because I really want to have that kind of full on experience with the movie. I don't want there to be the layer of distraction that happens when I'm sitting on my couch because I can never just watch something on the TV. I have to have another thing going on in the background. So be it, you know, on my phone or reading stuff online you know, I never give anything I'm watching at home my complete attention. So I, I really enjoy and it's actually kind of important for me as a film person to go to the movies to have that kind of experience. 
Yeah, I, when uh, I grow, go to a movie with a group of friends, uh, generally we don't talk through the movie. Wait, I mean, I, I always think it's kind of a weird thing to do with a group of friends, you know, sit in a dark room and not talk to each other for two to three hours. But It does happen, though. I mean, a lot of people like to do that. They whisper and they're like, oh, I think this is the twist kind of thing. It, you know, it can become a social experience. You're not having a conversation, but, yeah. you know, it, I, it I, under, I understand some people do that. Yeah. But I mean, just no one you would. Right. That's right. You already don't like people very much, so a man of such discerning tastes. Once you open up your mouth in a movie theater, we are done. Dead mm. to me. Yeah. Dead. I mean, there are experiences where that's okay, I think. So, like, if you're at a midnight show of a, sure. you know, an opening, especially big, big blockbustery openings, like, I want that crowd to be excited. You want that crowd to have a lot invested in in having that kind of experience and that can kind of boil over in the crowd. The other kind of acceptable time I've seen it happen is if the movie is incredibly bad. And the last time I remember this happening, haha, was the happening uh, by M night Shyamalan, which you got about two thirds of the way through that film. And there's a a twist. There's a twist about, uh, you know, inanimate objects that are providing some of the tension and there's a scene where Mark Wahlberg starts talking to one of these inanimate objects. And, <laughs> and it's, you, it's the trees. And that is the moment where everyone in the theater simultaneously gave up on the movie and just laughed hysterically. And it was gone. From that point on, everything was hilarious. And it was one of the best film experiences that I've ever had for one of the worst movies I have ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I, I haven't seen the movie. I wasn't watching it just now, but hearing you describe it made me laugh. It's true. So, I mean, uh, I think, I think comedies are, are a big exception to this role, right? Like there's a certain type of comedy, like a raucous kind of comedy where it's not all that different from seeing comedy live where there's an experience of sort of, laughing with people and enjoying it with people that I think elevates it beyond what you can do watching on your own. You know, even if you see something that typically is a laugh out loud comedy, if you're watching by yourself, you laugh way less. I mean, it's such a social thing, but then there are other movies that like you truly need to fully suspend yourself into the film and be absorbed by it. And you need that sort of silence and you want that sort of encompassing experience that, I mean, I've got a pretty big TV at home, but there's still something about being in a theater, I think, um, particularly if you've got good seats to sort of just totally fill your vision, totally fill your sound and forget anything about your own experience and just be washed over by by what you're seeing. And, and that's a that's another kind of thing. I don't know where Star Wars fits on that line. For me, it's more just like I've been waiting for the, a good Star Wars movie, like a good new Star Wars movie my entire life. <laughs> so I... Um, would be very very excited if we can get one of those yeah and that's kind of the thing about not wanting to go to a midnight show for that particular film um was the disparity between kind of what most people are bringing to it and what i bring to it it's like one of the most awkward experiences i've had in the movies was going to a midnight show of one of the harry potter film releases and 
you know, I was there because I was going to be writing a review for it. I was there because I wanted to get it kind of get it out of the way. And I happened to be working late the night before. Uh, and so just happened to be near the theater when it was when midnight happened. And, you know, there are all these people around who are really, really big Harry Potter fans. They're all dressed up. You know, they have they have their wands. They're they're asking each other you know, what houses they belong to. And I'm just sitting in the back row, desperately hoping someone doesn't ask me any questions at all. <laughs> it's like, yes, I have read the books. I think the films have been okay. And they're all really, really excited. And I'm just sitting there go, yep, that's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Jason, are you just going to transcribe the rest of the call? That's the plan. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, like, one of the things I worry about uh, with a movie like like a new Star Wars is I don't want to be in an audience that's cheering every time they see a main character and I can't hear what the hell people are saying. Mm-hmm. Like, I am not about that. If you want to cheer at the end of the movie, you know, like, if you want to do, like, a, the equivalent of, like, a Death Star blowing up means that people go, yeah, for, like, a moment – all right, like you get one of those, one of those a movie. But like if every time Harrison Ford comes on screen, I have to deal with somebody in the back and be like, I love you, Han Solo. I'm going to be pretty pissed off. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, would, I will say there uh, there was one movie that I went to with a, a friend that we talked all the way through the movie. Uh, and it, it was in a big theater. Mm-hmm. There were the two of us and one other person who left five minutes in. What? Very nice. Yeah, Very it was nice. eight-legged freaks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you kind of subjected yourself to that one. Well, that that movie was specifically made for that sort of thing. Yeah, that's like a maybe on the Sci-Fi Channel as I'm trying to fall asleep after a long night of drinking. I think we're we're giving that film a lot of credit right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have it on DVD. Well, it's a family show, so. Mm-hmm. Not naming names, just saying. <laughs> you look at that guy's oeuvre, you have to wonder. <laughs> yeah, so I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm already like not happy about what's going on 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 Twitter. Like I'm seeing too many screenshots and gifts and things like that, that I am like quickly scrolling past, but it seems like the world is out to spoil this film. I just don't know why we can't wait. Just wait patiently. I've seen a lot of excitement. I haven't seen a lot of spoilers per se, but I'm not sure like what level of spoiler we're talking about because I'm imagining you're not just meaning plot point kind of stuff, but even character appearance and, you know, any any kind of inkling of what the film might look like or what the film might sound like. Do you want to preserve that particular experience for the very first time you see it? I mean, so we got, I think, I think their original teaser, the one that was prior to that last incomparable episode, is, is exactly all I needed to know, which was give me glimpses that look and sound like Star Wars in my mind, and that is enough to get me bought in. Now I'm on board and tell me nothing else. So... It's not that like I would freak out to know that like this person's holding a lightsaber per se. I just I don't want to have any notion of the beats of the story such that I could even begin to construct what I think might be happening in my mind before I see it. 
Um, having seen this latest trailer, I think you'd probably be okay. Uh, it's packed with information. It's pretty much, it's pretty much, uh, showing you who's in the movie. I mean, I still have no idea who's a bad guy. Uh, I have a guess of who's the good guy. See, that's enough right there. And I don't want to guess. I don't want to give my brain the space to guess. I just. Well, I mean, it's the easy guesses. I mean, you know. Hansel you don't know. He could have turned. Chewbacca. <laughs> he could have. I suppose, that's the, yes. yeah, I suppose that's the nice thing about J.J. Abrams, especially being kind of one of the minds behind this, is that he's the kind of guy who understands how the mystery plays a big role in how you how you approach things, how you approach a film like that, and that he's going to try to do everything that he can to prevent that from happening for you. So imagine that helps with the trailer being non-specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch is definitely not Khan. I swear. <laughs> okay, I promise. <laughs> He's definitely was... not Khan. Okay, that that particular example was bad. But you know, like if you remember any of the stuff leading into the original Cloverfield release, or um, mm-hmm. you know how how Lost kind of got started. I won't say how it got finished, but um, no, that... they totally knew how it was going to end. Yeah, 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 whatever. I watched all six seasons of Lost. I still wonder sometimes. But, um, you know, I, I think <laughs> that sorry. for him especially, and he's talked about this, his TED Talk uh, on the subject kind of goes into that a little bit. But I think that he's as much, you know, he's enough of a fan that he's going to understand kind of what people are looking for and what they don't want and is, you know, not going to be pushed into violating that particular contract with his fans i mean i think that that that's fair um the spoilers are, are a piece of it for sure um then the other side of it is the expectation game right so it's like i said like i practically teared up at the end of the teaser when harrison ford gets on screen and i felt my heart like leap when the John Williams score like came in loud and you got the theme and the sound of like the millennium Falcon and the tie fighters like going across in stereo. Like that was enough to make me like go back to when I was seven years old and feel all that stuff. I thought you said you didn't watch the second one. No, just the, well, I watched rebate. Sorry. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? (laughs) Um, Brought to you by, uh so i watched the one i think it was one minute that they released maybe what was it in june or july the the one that starts with uh john boyega yes looking all sweaty and scared and yeah all that Uh uh-huh um so i i watched that one and i was like that is all the information i need i am on board and i am feeling things that i do not want to feel unless i'm watching that movie and it's delivering and until that moment, I don't want to feel this anymore because if I do, I'm going to get Phantom Menace. I'm forever amused by the fact that that has now become a, cu- a cultural touchstone for every nerd on the planet. Like living through that disappointment. And mm-hmm. I, I remember back when The Incomparable was doing their uh, their kind of recap episodes on the original on the prequel trilogy that serenity was one of the it was had like the the most visceral experience i can remember where she was like she was watching this film she's like 
I don't understand it. Therefore, I must, you know, it's still Star Wars, so it must be something wrong with me. Let me go watch it another four or five times. <laughs> and then, you know, just like having that moment slowly dawn on you. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a second. This is bad. Like, yep, really bad. So I, for I'm pretty sure I'm the same age that Serenity Caldwell is. Um, and I had a very, very similar experience that was um, complicated and compounded by the fact that I believe I was, I want to say I was 12. I, I'm trying to remember this correctly because it may have been when they did the Return of the Jedi Special Edition. But I'm pretty sure that like the last time that I invited friends to go somewhere for my birthday was to go see the Phantom Menace. Ooh. And I remember... Like sitting in the pizza place afterwards, I was you know, maybe like twelve friends, and I think, like I said, I think we were twelve years old, so that would have been what two thousand and or nineteen ninety nine. Does that sound right? Um, in terms of Phantom Menace release, I- I've got a fancy machine so. in front of me that can answer that question. Eh, probably not. Yep, nineteen ninety nine. So um, my birthday is May 29th, and it came out like maybe May seventeenth or May tenth or something. And so we saw Phantom Menace um, to, for my birthday, and I just remember us all sitting around eating pizza, and, and people being like, "Hmm, boy, I'm kind of excited. There were lightsabers and stuff, but hmm, hmm, boy, I really thought that Anakin wasn't going to be like a baby the whole time. What was that about? Hmm." boy like Darth Vader gets made in a lava pit yeah like where was that and like then be like hmm is it creepy how old Natalie Portman is compared to that kid like isn't that weird like they're supposed to be a thing but like she's kind of his babysitter what Ooh. hmm was Jar Jar Binks (laughs) you know completely unhealthed by the fact that Anakin is the least charismatic person on the face of the planet or, you know, any planet for that matter. I mean, it was just, I just, it was like almost, I imagine it's not that different from like survivors of, of a battle at war who are now back at camp and like looking around and be like, whew, I'm really glad that most of our unit is still here and seems to be okay. But, oh man, so that's what it's like. I do not like that. That is not good. Oh, and so like if I allow myself to get hyped to the level that I got hyped before that movie where I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go get to see Star Wars with my friends for my birthday. And it's going to be new Star Wars and the music is awesome and they're doing new digital stuff and the effects are going to be great. And this is going to be like, oh. So great. I'm so happy they're making new Star Wars. I've always wanted to see Star Wars in the movie theaters. Let's do this. And then to be crushed. I just, I can't let that happen again. I can't. I have to go in and just want to have a movie that I enjoy and then let everything that happens in the movie speak for itself. But I've got baggage, man. I've got baggage. Well, that's the nice thing is that we all do. And it's actually genuinely interesting to me seeing the disparity with how different people are approaching going about it this time around. Like my Twitter feed has been excited about Star Wars for a long time and it kind of boiled over on Monday night 
where every other tweet was a Star Wars tweet, uh, tweet, I should say. And it just seems like the unbridled excitement that people are having. They're retapping into that childhood experience that they had with the films. Um, for me, it was, you know, VHS, VHS copies of HBO presentations. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's the Star Wars that I grew up with. Um, and I most assuredly did grow up with them. Uh, but having, like, just the the post-traumatic stress of having gone through the prequels. I just can't, I can't tap into that excitement again at all. And it, 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 it the, the disparity between my own feelings about it and how other people are feeling about it, it it's, has been interesting. And just watching, watching people backlash back and forth is, 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 is funny, especially, <laughs> you know, people telling other people that they shouldn't be too excited and, mm-hmm. you know, telling other people, you know, don't, don't crap on their fun, you know, just let them, you know, let them relive this moment again. It's like, it's interesting. I, I was really happy that I felt good watching that teaser because it let me know that my trilogy experience didn't sour me on the possibility of feeling that way about Star Wars. But my immediate reaction was to get very guarded and basically be like, I've got to protect myself. You know, it's like it's like coming back to an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend, right? It's like, boy, especially not that long after you break up when you aren't really over somebody. And, and it's not like the I'm not going to be okay without you. You're like well past that point. But it's like I haven't really had interest in other people yet again. And you're comfortable and I'm liking us being friends. And like forgetting for a short moment all the terrible reasons why things ended and why things are better this way. And like it's that sort of thing, right? You, you feel the relapse coming on. And so I, I feel like I need to guard myself like I would with an ex um, shortly after a breakup in that kind of middle period. Um, that That's kind of – that's me and Star Wars right now. Star Wars is, is my ex-girlfriend, and I'd really like to get back together. Title. So, but so other people kind of, you know, what is y'all's feelings with Star Wars? I mean, what has y'all's interaction different with the people around you or us nerds? I mean, because it doesn't seem like y'all care quite as much. (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think anybody I work with, uh, cares about it at all. Um, I I've got friends that are uh going on opening weekend but uh, I mean I I grew up listening to Christmas and the Stars and that was kind of my baseline for uh for what Star Wars Star Wars was about so I I didn't really expect anything all that great and, I'm so sorry yeah well I mean it was Christmas and the Stars not the not the uh, actual televised uh, Christmas special, so at least there's that. But um, it's bad. It's bad enough. The '80s did some bad things. <laughs> when, when, I, when I saw the Phantom Menace, I I walked out of the theater saying, "Okay, that was a really crappy movie, but it's it's not like it hurt me uh, deep inside or anything." And I I saw the uh, the other two, whatever the hell they were called, uh, to make fun of them out out of some sort of sense of obligation or anything yeah i did you know i did go see the other two films and obligation get better right obligation is a good word for it because that's Uh exactly right it's like it can't be as bad as the first one Mm -hmm. it can't be 
just mm-hmm. they can't be and it, it it's the same thing that the incomparable folks talked about especially on episode three where it's like okay it, it's got to be better and we even like faux convince ourselves that it's better it's like oh well you know at least it didn't have these four things from the first film that i hated it's like hey, at least these things are happened you know that scene was awesome right and talking yourself up and and trying to trying to find the great that's still left in the desiccated husk of a film that actually ended up on screen i tried so hard i tried so hard to find a way to like either attack of the clones or revenge of the sith like i kept trying mentally afterwards to say like was that was was any of this good were they finally getting up to something I was interested in? Can I, can I say that any of the lore was interesting? Like I just, every piece of those movies, I thought about it constantly after watching. I've, I've only seen each of the prequels one time, the one time in theaters. I've never gone back and rewatched them. And yet the, the events of those films are still burned in me because I kept on saying to myself, it can't be this bad. There's got to be a, a redeeming quality here. Something about this has to be good. Maybe I do like that Yoda fight. Maybe it didn't look terrible. Let me think about that a little bit more. Like maybe that was a really cool thing to do. Was there ever a point in time when I thought to myself, what I would really like to see is Frank Oz's Yoda flipping around with a, with a <laughs> lightsaber. Like maybe I did want that. Like maybe, maybe when I was eight years old, I had that thought too. And can I recapture it? And I just, I, I couldn't, I never could. And that remains my hope. So that would be an old hope then? Mm. Yes. Three, two, <laughs> one. I've heard that one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, I, I think by the time I saw the uh, Phantom Menace, I had already seen the, um, I don't remember which movie it was, but uh, one of them had a, a commentary with, uh, it, it was one of the old style commentaries where it's basically just an interview with um, George Lucas playing over the, over the movie. And I, I had already figured out that he just kind of bumbled into the first three being decent. And I, I didn't really expect all that much. I'm going to let the decent comment pass and move on to wondering <laughs> how Mike is feeling about these things. I wish that one, two and three were better. Um, Amen. You know they they didn't have the mag the magic of four five six, but it it didn't bother me that much. I mean, you you know you got the backstory of Darth Vader basically, and that's all that I really expected out of that. You know, uh, maybe I don't don't agree with the way it was done, but you know that's that's the way. That's what its purpose was, was to tell us how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader. So I wasn't that disappointed with them. Even though one of the greatest villains of all time turned out to have the worst origin story of all time? Well, I mean, he had an unexplained origin. You know, where did he come from? That was largely left to mystery. But, and, you know, I've, I've read things after the fact about... Um, theories about what happened, but I don't think there's any actual official canon to say who Anakin's father was. Anakin's me if I'm wrong. No, Anakin's. I've also read some theories. No, I guess <sighs> I I didn't know we cared. 
Well, if he is one of the greatest users of the Force, then it kind of matters what happened. How Run, did who was his runs father? In the family. I thought there was a not very subtle hint from Shmi <laughs> that there was a Shmeagle. father in the in the, in the in the like the you know high arc mythos sense mm-hmm. of that term as opposed to there wasn't a father around. Yeah, I've heard the immaculate conception theory as well. Um I, I think there are some hints that Palpatine might be the father. Um some precedent for that, some other things that have come up. But, you know New information before, has come to light. But well <laughs> Word has reached these shores. Working news, everyone. Um no, I guess to not stray too far and, and talk about the origin they did give us, I just one of the few things that I ever learned that was useful about fiction writing and writing in general is that you have to earn the story, right? The things that characters do, you have to earn it. You have to build the world. You have to build those people. And it has to make sense. And you can't just go out and left field with an explanation or some events that you haven't done the work to earn in the mind of a reader such that it all falls into place. And the bizarre challenge of doing a prequel is that you have an end you have to reach for, right? You have to earn something that you've already done. And they do a great job of earning everything about Darth Vader in the original trilogy, right? From the moment they do the force choke right at the beginning, they set that tone, they set the stage. It's done brilliantly. And then they gave us the prequel, and it never bridges that gap. They never earn the Darth Vader that exists in any way. And it seems like it's not... The degree of difficulty shouldn't have been that high, and that's what's so frustrating, right? It's it's not good enough. What what they gave you in in one, two, and three, I could have gotten on an outline, and that would have gotten given me just as much satisfaction. Like a, a one page treatment on what they told would have provided just as much satisfaction as those three movies do. Which begs the question: Why make those movies? Yeah, I I was. I I hadn't really thought about how the purpose behind the first three movies was just the origin story. And when you said that, I'm thinking everything they did could have fit in one movie easily. Well, and I think that was my confusion when I, you know, earlier when I was like, Phantom Menace, like, where's the lava pit? Which was like, sure, I guess the origin of Vader is something that's interesting. We kind of know that it has something to do with the lava. We kind of know that he turns to the dark side. But like, if you're starting with this guy as a kid, and he knows nothing at the end of the first movie. It's almost like like you don't start the story before the action, right? Like in media res is like a thing, right? And and instead it seems like Lucas actually tried to start at the start. And my my thinking when I went to see the second movie, thinking that it might get any better, was like, well, maybe now he'll jump to the part that's actually exciting. And I remember that movie ended, I'm like, whoa. We still haven't gotten anywhere near a place that it makes sense that this dark side thing is happening. And so everything that I thought was supposed to happen in, in the three movies um, was jam-packed into the last movie. And, w- and it was terrible for it. Like, imagine if they had done the last movie first, Revenge of the Sith, and started the plot there. We would lose nothing by not having the information available in Phantom Menace and the Clone Wars, or Attack of the Clones or whatever. And, and 
we would have had a very interesting compelling story like we still don't even get the making of darth vader we get the making of a guy burned up in lava who at the end screams no as he's brought onto a mechanical body that doesn't make you darth vader that doesn't make the actual empire like all the interesting stuff actually happens between the two trilogies everything that's interesting happens between the two trilogies mm-hmm. and we don't see any of it. We don't see any of the stuff that is interesting about what happens before Star Wars. We see the barest slice of what's interesting. How do you do that? How do you make that decision? Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the therapy session continues, right? So this is you why I can't watch trailers. This, right? uh, I mean, get it all out. I just, I can't do it to myself. I can't. I won't do it. Won't do it. Can't make me. Can't make me. That's why I won't do two shows a night anymore. I won't. I won't. Even even the titles of the movies are so lukewarm and unimaginative. Terrible. There's and then Darth. Go ahead. Um, Darth Maul, who seems like he's going to be a really cool villain. Super cool. He gets no. He he gets no story. He was a cool villain. I actually think that's cool. Darth Maul is one of the few things in the original trilogy that works more or less. Granted, he's not doing a whole lot in that first film, but you buy instantly that he's evil. Like you don't need a lot more introduction than that. You understand what he's after. You understand why he's doing the things that he's doing, and he looks cool. He acts cool, and he fights cool. And so, you know that's kind of what you want in that in that kind of villain. The only problem is is that he he enters this vacuum of a film as another vacuum. You know, it's just void on void. And it unfortunately you lose so much when there's nothing else going on around you. It's like I can you know, I'm the one cool thing in the middle of this desert of bland ugh. Well, and like, so the double lightsaber thing is cool. And then they totally learn the wrong lesson from that. And they create a robot with like six lightsabers in his hands. Right. <laughs> and, and like one of the great things about um, the original trilogy, right. Is that like the enemy never dies. Like everything is the same arc with one big bad guy, as opposed to doing what we do today. Right. Like just think to every superhero movie that comes out where there's a new baddie in every movie, the stakes get slightly higher in a bizarre way. And they have to completely and totally annihilate and defeat that baddie by the end of the movie so that we can have a new great baddie um, for the next film. And they do this essentially in the first three movies where they keep swapping out these underlings of Palpatine that have no real meaning, no actual, um, care for them like who who cares who these people are and they just swap out those guys with like Palpatine in the background as though we're not supposed to be able to pick up on what's going on it, it's like it's it's ponderous it doesn't make any sense so we have that as this like challenge right they have to swap out baddies every time and give us new pointless origin stories about the politics of these different people we we've got this like this really interesting character and we kill him off right away. And let me tell you something, George Lucas is not George R. R. Martin. Okay. That trick does not work <laughs> in star Wars. It just doesn't. And so, you know, th- that becomes a whole challenge. I get exasperated. Well, and then, I get exasperated thinking about this. And the characters you care about, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, or rather you, you know, what's going to happen or what is not going to happen. You know, that, uh, Anakin and 
Obi-Wan are going to find their way out of any problems they run into. There's never any chance of them anything of them no longer being in the series. You know what happens to uh Padme? But you know, you know what happens I, to the kids. I don't know that that's the fault, right? Because if you think about, like, let's focus on like Obi Wan Kenobi, right? Who the story really should have been about. Mm-hmm. Um, he is this guy in the middle of a friggin' desert who has turned his back on all of, I'm, I, I won't say humanity, right? But like life, right? He is no longer a factor on the galactic stage, right? Living things don't. He doesn't concern himself with that. And he throws out in A New Hope so this information about, like, the Clone Wars, right? And that just sounded so freaking cool. And we spend almost no time on the Clone Wars. We don't really get that arc from, like, how he ends up. At, like, like the, the explanation at the end of the movie as to why he ends up in the middle of freaking nowhere is so terrible. And there's clearly a super interesting story about... Obi-Wan and his father fighting this war and being comrades and then his father deciding that actually I'm going to switch sides and that that betrayal and whatever the events are of that, they are so catastrophic that Kenobi is basically like a crazed old man out in the desert who sounds like a nutbag. And we get none of that. We get nothing. Uh, nothing. I think. The nice thing about that, insofar as it goes, is there at least is a media property that bothers to do that and does it reasonably well, and that's the Clone Wars animated series um, that covers that gap of the story particularly well. Um, It doesn't give quite – I don't think it gets quite enough into the arc that Anakin has to go through, but – that's definitely in the background for all of the seasons of that show where you see him fall kind of deeper and deeper down into that hole of the dark side and how that affects his decision-making, how it affects his appearance and how it affects how other people interact with him. Um, So if you, first off, highly recommended, it's great stuff. Watch it on Netflix. But the nice thing as far as it goes, is that at least that ground wasn't made not fertile. Like he didn't throw sand into it and, you know, burn the field. Mm-hmm. I, I could buy that. I've avoided all non-film property as as um, undetermined canon. So has, has, has Clone Wars been like fully canonized? Is that is that forever going to be Star Wars canon? No. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> with the kind of the way that Disney took over things – Everything outside of the films got tossed, basically. And so that, you know, I don't think that it's going to continue being canon as such. But the storytelling inside of it is good. The way that it's made is good. And so even if it doesn't stick around as part of the story, per you know, per se, it's still set in the Star Wars universe. It still understands what's great about Star Wars and executes on that particular idea very, very well. I'll think about it. Again, highly recommend it. <laughs> so, are there any other films that we have this kind of connection to? Like, I mean, I understand it with Star Wars completely, just because of how uh, how the sci-fi works, how the development of film worked, how the nostalgia of it hits. 
But do we have these kind of experiences with any other forms of media? Like, are we disattached to any other story or film or piece of media that you grew up with? So I don't know that I could say that I have the same attachment, but what I can say is I was totally of the camp. And so I was born in 1987, which I think is important context for this. Um, So all these things I did not see in theater, but my parents saw this stuff in theaters as as late teens and early 20s. And so it was very much a part of my household. And I really grew up with um, Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Back to the Future as sort of being like holy trilogies in a sense. Like to me, there was this separate thing. Like I really liked movies. I really liked TV. But there is this separate thing called a trilogy. And those three trilogies represented what that was supposed to be. And probably until I was like 10 or 12 years old, in some sense, the idea of a trilogy was to me like the highest art form in film. But, you know, succeeding on these kind of three movie arcs, that was what great movies were supposed to do. And I spent a long time waiting for what the trilogy would be for my generation, which I think actually added to my Phantom Menace disappointment, right? Like maybe we were going to get our trilogy, even though it was going to come from the same property. But I really grew up, you know, pretty much from the time I can remember, all three of those uh, franchises, all three of those films were available and I was watching them on TV and I was growing up and I cared a lot about them. And they had these great bombastic scores and they had that action adventure piece. Um, And that to me, like, like, again, like that was it was a genre of film almost uh, unto itself. So. I don't know if I would say I had quite the same attachment to Indiana Jones and to Back to the Future that I did Star Wars, but I probably have seen um, those nine movies more than anything by a massive long shot. Yeah, kind of for me, it seems like I got attached to the the Disney Renaissance properties a fair bit. It was a very Disney heavy household that I grew up in. And so the kind of you know, the untouchable experiences are, you know, the Lion King, the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and in that kind of realm of of mid you know, mid nineties, I guess early nineties Disney cinema. Um and that like those are the films that will forever be with me that are gonna be like the untouchable the you know, you can it doesn't matter how many sequels you're gonna come up with I'll always have the memory of sitting down in front of the TV and watching those films. And that for me, that's kind of where, where my love landed was in the Disney camp as opposed to a particular franchise. I I mean, there was definitely a thing. I mean, when, you know, being of a certain age, like when Beauty and the Beast came out and then Aladdin came out and the Lion King came out sort of like back to back, it definitely I remember there being a feeling that like Disney was unstoppable, that they were just going to consistently forever release the most fantastic movies that you can imagine, um, you know, and then like Pocahontas happened. Um, but I, I do remember distinctly those three movies, actually, um, Beating the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, and being like wowed by that. Like Disney was a huge deal. Yeah. And the only other thing that comes anywhere close to that is Star Trek The Next Generation, which is kind of strange because I wouldn't, you know, kind of, I would have been too young to have been watching it first run, but towards the later, you know, uh, seasons five, six, and seven, uh, assuming I've got my numbering right, um, those were ones that 
my dad and I would sit down and watch together on Sunday afternoons while we were folding clothes after doing laundry. So like the, that, that's the only other media property that comes anywhere close to having that level of nostalgia associated with it. And that even going back and watching, you know, rewatching the next generation today, it doesn't matter how good or how bad the episodes themselves are. It always brings me back to that feeling of, of being able to share that experience and just having that experience with a, with a fantastical property like that. I, I don't think I have any, uh, have a connection to any property like that. Cause I, there, there are plenty of things that I, I watched and loved as a, as a kid, but I, I mean, if a horrible sequel or prequel came out to it, then, you know, it, it, it doesn't ruin what I had when I was a kid and looking back on it, none of it is really, uh, all that great to begin with, you know, it, it, everything had its flaws. Um, I, I did watch, uh, almost all of, uh, the next generation first run, uh, sometimes twice in a weekend, but I go back and I look at it and, and see how goofy probably 75% of it was. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of it that kind of objectively doesn't stand up at all, you know, uh, especially stuff in the early couple of seasons. Um, but I can't, for whatever reason, I just can't shake the nostalgia I have associated with it. So I assume that's kind of what people are feeling when they're talking about the experience that they're having with Star Wars. It's kind of the same experience I had with The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. What about you, yeah, Mike? I, well, uh, I have some real-time follow-up before um, oh. I give my answer. Um, according to uh, the Wikipedia, current canon is the six Star Wars films, even one, two, and three, and the Clone Wars television series and film. Apparently, it was a movie, and that is Oh, it. so they are canonized. Cool. It, as long as we're uh, in the uh, real-time follow-up uh, portion of the show, I wanted to say that, uh, Jason, you are, in fact, the same age as Serenity Caldwell. Yeah, it's way past both your bedtimes, by the way. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, that actually does change my view on whether I'm going to watch it um, pretty dramatically. So maybe maybe instead of watching trailers, I will watch the Clone Wars animated series. Yeah, I wonder if they were just like, well, this... This happens between three and four, so or no, it happens between two and three, right? But basically, it happens so far removed yeah. from seven, eight, and nine that it can't can't damage. Anything. Right. I've got to imagine they've decided that there's no way they're going to even ever re uh, go back into touching the Anakin and Obi Wan story at all. Like that, that is just poisoned at this point anyway. And that this series, if it's any good, and it sounds like it might be can just can it can stand that's not that's not an area they're going to mine anymore i kind of have some of the nostalgia thing going on with um seinfeld that was like a huge thing in my house we all watched it together all my family watched it we all talked about it all the time um seinfeld was huge as it ran and um have a little bit of that with the west wing as well and probably battlestar galactica like i I, you know those are properties like i watched every episode in sequence live as it aired super looked forward to it um and have rewatched them at various points without 
having any magical loss actually they they all held up for me at least so those are pretty big deal properties if we're going to extend tv yeah i personally did not come to the west wing until i was an adult uh but that being said i do still have that that same rose-colored nostalgia about it and uh loving loving it probably more than it necessarily deserves especially with some of the things that aaron sorkin has gotten into for sure after that and even sure. his stuff off screen uh kind of poisons some of the stuff that's going on on screen too so but i definitely that's one of those that's reached that nostalgic point and actually even more than that is his original um series on abc uh sports night I love about the guys stuff. who uh, who run a sports center esque television show. Uh, I highly recommend people seek that out if they have not done so. Yeah, I I enjoyed that one, um, and could never explain to anybody why. I, I think a lot of the people that I was talking to about it didn't like it because there wasn't a laugh track. Ugh. Don't even yeah. go there with the laugh track. Actually, were there a couple episodes that did have a laugh track? Yes. So early, early in the first, first season, season. Yeah. yeah, it was there and they kind of slowly <sighs> turned the volume down as time went on. And thank God that they did that because it, was terrible. it, it just, it never worked because they were always trying to keep that nice balance between the comedy and the drama that was going on. And the laugh track was just ruining that every single time. It's like, yeah. Oh, it's a happy, fun comedy. And oh, there's the serious thing that's going on too. And it's just like, you can't undercut it like that and have it all work. It's painful. The laugh track is yeah. painful. I think they released I, it on DVD without the laugh track, even on the episodes that had it. Well, the, yeah, but they those never, cut the yeah, songs those never too, work anyway. So. Um, that's, that's like, uh, there were, uh, the seasons of red dwarf that had the laugh track. They released those recut without, and all the timing is way off. Right. Cause everyone pauses for the non-existent audience to laugh. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen and that show. Is that good? Red dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty terrible, but I enjoy it. I will watch it. Um, I don't remember if it was in a, an interview I watched or read, but um, Tina Fey was saying that uh, she wanted 30 Rock to be a traditional three-camera sitcom with a live audience and all that, and that just broke my heart because I I would have hated it. I think that show really only works as a, a one-camera uh, show. I've never even seen an episode of 30 Rock. Hmm. So I have nothing to contribute. Hmm. It's good. Oh, you hated uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, didn't you? Terrible. You would hate <laughs> 30 Rock. Do not watch 30 Rock. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was one of the, I, I mean, I one of the reasons why I love my girlfriend is because we can turn on stuff like that that everyone on the planet seems to think is amazing. And like one episode, like not even the full one episode, and we're looking at each other like, why... Does anyone think that this is any good? We'll try one more episode, but that's all we've got. And we would just, I don't think we laughed once in two full episodes. Not even yeah, once. It, it's a, that's a very Tina Fey show. So you, <sighs> yeah, do not, do not watch 30 Rock. I like, I like Tina Fey's humor a lot. So I liked, I liked 30 Rock a fair bit, but I will say that this is the exact same reaction that I had to Arrested Development. <laughs> 
and it, it everybody loves that show everybody loves that show. i don't i have and the same I reaction to that absolutely just could not stand watching could not stand watching it Ugh. i mean that's one two of- episodes of arrested development i stopped i can't even watch half an episode of the office i think it's terrible yeah I, i'm not a fan of the office um i d- I do like Arrested Development, which I think is probably uh, the only show that I uh, that I enjoy where I can't stand most of the characters. They're all yeah, horrible people. That's kind of my big problem. And the only show like that that I've ever really enjoyed, and I can't say that I enjoyed every episode of it, but I enjoyed enough of it, would be uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the whole premise is the fact that they're really, really bad people. And that helps to a certain extent. Um, and outside of the kind of more straight up comedy, this is another reason why I'm not a huge fan of Wes Anderson films by and large. It's the same exact thing where it's like, Oh, look at these horrible people being horrible or look at these quirky people being quirky. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Wes, Wes Anderson, yeah. Wes Anderson films are, uh, by and large far too precious. Um, there are a couple that I like. Uh, one one of which uh, is Fantastic Mr. Fox, which means he didn't write it. So I haven't seen that one yet. That helps. That's good. It's a, it's very very good. Mm-hmm. I, I thought you were saying it was good that he hadn't seen it. Oh, um, I only like two of his movies that I've seen. Um, so I'm sort of on the same train. I I don't really find him to be all that interesting. Most of his stuff I think is pretty bad. I do like the Royal Tenenbaums, and I like um, Moonrise Kingdom. I actually think Moonrise Kingdom is a really good movie, and I remember the way I felt about it when I walked out was like, this is the most Wes Anderson you can get. It's like peak Wes Anderson, but this is like the movie he's been trying to make all this time, and it finally like clicked, and it worked, and I enjoyed it, and I view almost all of the rest of his work as a failure to make this movie. Yeah, I I saw the uh, trailer for Moonrise Kingdom and was completely uninterested. It's not something I would like to like go rush out and watch or anything like that. But I think that it is it is Wes Anderson perfecting his form and doing it well enough, and not in a way that makes me feel disgusting or annoyed or like half the time I watch his movies, I'm like, God, the only person who likes this is Mike Hurley smoking a pipe. Um, like this is the most hipster, annoying thing ever that has no, yeah. I I, I normally can't stand it, but I did like Moonrise Kingdom, even though I think it is very much of his style. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 So, so buttons on your underwear. <laughs> buttons on your underwear. Is mm-hmm. that are we referring to the fly? Uh, well, that's just what my mom always said if someone said so right yeah mm-hmm. uh which i um later heard in i think it was the truth about cats and dogs only uma thurman's character said so buttons and it sounded entirely foreign to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. three Two, one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only person who has these associations with single words, though, which is nice. Um, it, it's really kind of cheesy and personal, but um, the word example, anytime someone says that word, 
has another whole four paragraphs worth of explanation that follow it because one of my trivia callers um, would have a special category that would start a whole long pre prescripted monologue with that word. And so every time I hear that word, I instantly fall back into that same monologue inside my head. So I'm just, you know, I'm glad that normal, you know, there are other people who have this nice abnormal uh, reaction to simple words. Yeah. Nice save there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not entirely sure normal people have that. So a needle pulling thread. (laughs) Does anyone want to hear my uh, movie? Uh, it's not even really a trilogy. It's, uh, I would say, a dynasty. Yeah, of course. That's that's let me down recently. Oh, maybe not oh, so that... much. Are we going to end this show on a depressing note? Well, that it would be the uh, Airbud series. <laughs> hey, excuse me. 